are we best positioning blueberries to compete for the consumer's attention and ultimately their dollar? Well, I think if there's one thing that the pandemic has shown all of us is that how consumers change in the pandemic forced a lot of the changes, right? But the consumers are changing on their own. And I think one of the biggest parts of marketing is to anticipate those changes or help facilitate them, right? So reminding consumers of, oh, if you make overnight oats yourself and you put them in the refrigerator, make sure you put a few blueberries on top of them, right? As opposed to something else, right? Successful marketing is anticipating what the consumer really wants, but maybe what they hadn't thought about. On today's episode, we welcome a leader of the blueberry industry back to the podcast to hear his thoughts on the future forward for blueberries in this rapidly changing business environment. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, I've been looking forward to today's episode for a long time, ever since we first had him on the show way back in episodes three and four. Here to continue that conversation and share his vision for the future of blueberries is President of Driscoll's of the Americas, Soren Bjorn. As most of you know, Driscoll's is a world leader in production of not only blueberries, but also strawberries, blackberries, and raspberries. They produce and distribute about one-third of the berries sold in the U.S., Prior to being promoted to president in 2017, Soren successfully led key global business units for the company, including blueberries, which I'm sure is his favorite berry. Soren, thanks so much for joining us today on the business of blueberries. Well, thanks, Casey. Glad to be back. Can't believe it was almost two years ago since we did this last. I know. And uh, I know I ad-libbed there about the uh, favorite berry part, so uh, I took a little host liberty and that suggestion you don't have to make any public comments if you don't want <laughs> it's like picking your own kids so let's start off by just talking about what we're going to cover today we've got a lot of ground that i want to kind of pick your brain about since we have you here on the show again and i want to kind of start off where we left off in that first interview uh, which actually was the summer of 2020 when the world was still kind of processing the fact that we were in a global pandemic and now that a lot of the world seems to be stabilizing, what I think we could just start off by just talking about what changes or lessons do you think the blueberry industry will take from our experience through this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things have happened in the last you know, two years where we lived in this pandemic. Some really good things. I think searching our own hearts, okay, we're in our industry, which I, I, I truly believe in, in the long run will be great for the industry. It needed to happen. Probably a lot of us in the industry didn't realize it at the time. And so, you know, it was, it was challenging for a long period of time there. But I really feel like we, we came out in many ways looking a lot better on, on the back end of both the pandemic and this internal debate that had to take place in the industry. I think if you just start with the pandemic, the really, really good things we've seen is that berries in general, including blueberries, have done really well during the pandemic. 
And I think we have a lot of reasons to believe that a lot of that will stay with us as people have increasingly made berries a part of the, a healthier lifestyle. And that's good. And that's a lot easier because the berries are good. You know, I mean, they're, they're not only good for you, but they also taste good. So that's a, that's a great story. And I think the other thing that, that happened during the pandemic is clearly a lot more consumers went online to buy produce, something they, they really didn't do in big numbers pre-pandemic. And I think there'll be some reason to be a little bit concerned about that. You know, if you were looking, you know, ahead two years ago, most berry consumers still buy their berries looking with their eyes first, right? That's why we have clear clamshells so you can see all of the berries. And so now you have this person you don't know, you know, picking your berries in a warehouse or in a store for you and then shipping it to your house. And I think there were a lot of questions about whether consumers were going to be comfortable with that, right? None of us want that soft or moldy berry, you know, in your clamshell. And now how do you know that's not going to happen? Well, it turned out that uh, the online shoppers are doing a really good job of picking the right berries. Or, you know, we have, in fact, as an industry, elevated our quality up to a level where online shopping is not a problem. And so all of the data we see is that berries actually overtrade online versus in-store. And that's great because online shopping is here to stay. That's not going to go away after the pandemic, right? So I think that's one of those things, good news for the berry industry. We couldn't have known that beforehand. Uh, we knew it was coming, and we didn't know whether it was going to be good for us or challenging for us, and it turned out that it was great for us. So I think that's just one of those things where the momentum will keep carrying forward and increase the overall demand for berries. Yeah, well, and maybe you could speak to, you know, I, recognizing your role in Fresh, but during that same pandemic period, you know, you saw a similar response, actually an over exaggerated experience in the frozen berry business. And so the relationship in how one affects the other certainly played out during the pandemic. And I know when I first got started here, you know, the big call was we got to figure out how to reduce these inventories in order to help improve overall market conditions for blueberries generally. And we saw that, you know, we saw a real strong frozen market. Talk to me a little bit from your perspective on how that affected the fresh. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another one of these trends or one of the things that happened during the pandemic that will stay with us, not to the same extent, but maybe take on a little bit different shape. And that is that, you know, we have had so many people working from home and there's a very, very large percentage of the working population that probably will never fully go back to working at an office five days a week, eight to 10 hours a day that those days for many, many jobs are largely over. Even as we fully open up, it'll be um, you know, less than, than 50% of the time that's expected to be in the office for people that are hybrid. And you know, that's, we never put hybrid on a job description before. Okay? It was like inconceivable. It's like, but now you, you can't post a job unless you define whether this job is remote, hybrid, or you know, got to be there in person. And yes, there are many, many activities and certainly, you know, all the growers that are going to listen to this podcast, you know, are not offered the luxury of, of being hybrid, right? You know, their jobs are mostly, you know, you know, on the farm and, you know, in person, okay? And we, of course, have many of those jobs too in distribution and so forth. But a lot of our consumers in the berry category are, you know, working professionals that are going to be offered this opportunity to be hybrid. And as they are hybrid and working from home, 
you know, they had to then figure out what to eat in their home, right? And so the things that are convenient, and I think this is where Frozen has really benefited, right? That smoothie, whether that's for your lunch or for your breakfast, instead of stopping by Starbucks on the way to the office in the morning, and now you're like, well, you know, you come from your bedroom to your home office, okay, and stopping in the kitchen on the way. And so that is very, very clear. This is what has driven the demand. And again, blueberries being, you know, really convenient ingredient. And in fact, part of many, many recipes for whether it's smoothies or, you know, other things you can have for breakfast or snack has really benefited from it. And that's not going to go away. It'll probably get dialed back a little bit, right? Because, I mean, there are people going back to offices full time and we will be here sometimes. So we're not necessarily working from our home every single day. But you're talking about, you know, millions and millions of people that are largely working from home. And so that has changed shopping patterns forever, right? And we happen to be, as an industry, beneficiaries of that. So that's great. No, that is great. And, you know, having been someone that fell into that situation during the pandemic of eating healthier, you know, finding that those things that were convenient at the house that I think a lot of people have gone through and ordering those things from people who were then delivering them. Obviously, even for my family, frozen blueberries became a staple and that smoothie in the morning, you know, has become quite the tradition. So I feel like there's a lot of those changes that have taken place. And, you know, we launched Grab a Boost a Blue Post, you know, it was 2021 when we launched our new program. But it was just prior to us going through a strategic planning process that I know you were a part of as well, where we work together as an industry to kind of recast that vision as an organization on behalf of the industry and positioning blueberries to become the world's favorite fruit. So someone who I know works with other fruits as well, I'm curious just to get your take on this new direction for USHBC and and where this fits from your perspective on where we're going as an industry. Well, I think if there's one thing that the pandemic has shown all of us is that how consumers change, okay, and the pandemic forced a lot of the changes, right? But the consumers are changing on their own. And I think one of the biggest parts of marketing is to anticipate those changes or help facilitate them, right? So reminding consumers of, oh, if you make overnight oats yourself and you put them in the refrigerator, make sure you put a few blueberries on top of them, right? As opposed to something else, right? Because if we don't do that, I can guarantee you the, uh, the walnut people are doing it or, you know, somebody else is doing it, right? And so, you know, marketing, which is, you know, a big part of what we are committed to is a lot of times simply just putting the ideas in the consumers' minds, right? And then reminding them and making it easier for them. Right, whether it's showing them or giving them the recipes or whatever, whatever it is, right? And successful marketing is anticipating what the consumer really wants, but maybe what they hadn't thought about. So I think that is absolutely critical for the demand for you know our commodity to continue to grow. We have been very fortunate as an industry that we have been able to ride a very long wave of being sort of one of the healthiest fruits, right? That was great work and great anticipation of people very early on in the blueberry industry that thought, we, what, what could we do with very limited funds? And say, hey, let's jump on that bandwagon. Okay, and not only did we do that, we sort of got out ahead of everybody else. But now we've got to keep evolving, right? You know, so we already have the position. We've got to keep defending that position, right? We don't want some other fruit to take that position or some other commodity outside of the fruit arena. But then built on it, right? You know, and that's where the sort of the real power comes in. And this is where we can learn from branded companies 
is that's what they do, right? Once they sort of own a space in the consumer's mind, they want to add onto that space, right? And expand it, expand it, expand it. So consumers start thinking about blueberries, not only in their smoothies, not only on their breakfast, but on their salads, you know, with their dinner or whatever good idea it is that can drive real demand. We just got done doing an innovation session with SRG in Boulder this last week. And one thing that came out was flatbreads and pizza for blueberries, which, you know, you're thinking smoothie health, but it doesn't mean that there's not a place for that consumer who would potentially be able to have a barbecue chicken pizza that has a ranch, uh, blueberry ranch dressing on it. And so just getting people just to think about blueberries in different ways, to your point, is the opportunities that blueberry still has to just keep evolving the use of that fruit in all these different ways that people aren't, aren't thinking about it today. With those opportunities, I know we have challenges. And one of the challenges in our industry is certainly labor and uh, has been in terms of just kind of thinking through immigration, immigration reform, and a lot of the subject matter that goes around that. But Driscoll's recently funded a documentary actually called The Last Harvest. And that provided a glimpse into the lives and challenges of families, growers, our industry, and the work to harvest food. So I thought we'd just take a moment here to kind of unpack a little bit about Driscoll's involvement with that and why it was so important for Driscoll's to be involved with an initiative like The Last Harvest. Yeah, I mean, this has sort of turned into a little bit of a personal crusade for me. I'm not sure if that was a good idea or not, but in reality is that we are very fortunate in this nation that we are a country that can pretty much feed itself, right? And we are still a net exporter of food. But in my opinion, and I think the data on this is pretty clear, that is only going to be possible in the future if we have a good solution for who is going to be the farm worker of the future. And I think if you look at our current system, there's no way you you can't reach the conclusion that this is completely broken. And so, you know, there's obviously lots of political immigration debates and stuff like that, right? On both sides, okay, this is not about more than one side or the other, okay? But I think lost in the conversation is that this is the most basic need we have as human beings and as a nation is the ability to feed ourselves. And I personally think that that needs to be brought much more to the forefront. I think now is a good time. You know, there's been no better time than during the pandemic to recognize how important farm workers are to keeping this whole thing together. And um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of political will to recognize that. But I think it's, it's part of our jobs in agriculture in general is to make sure that people really are aware of this. So as I said, I'm spending a lot of time on this. Um, I'm going to South by Southwest in Austin here in a couple of weeks. We get to show the documentary there. We get to have a debate about it. And our ask is really just that people have a thoughtful debate about where are we going. I mean, we can decide that we don't need farm workers, okay, but then we're going to have to import our food. We're going to become a net importer of food and not a net exporter of food. And I just think that's a bad choice for a country that has that choice. You know, you look at countries around the world that find themselves in that same situation, including very big countries like China, and how desperate they are to reverse that situation. And we should not give that up just because we cannot have a proper debate. And unfortunately, in this country today, that is really the biggest issue, is that we are, we are really no longer permitted as a nation to have a proper debate. We don't have to agree, okay? And we should have different political perspectives. But what we must absolutely have 
is the ability to debate. That wasn't why, why we got into this thing in the first place, okay? But it's become part of what we are out there talking about. And I would just encourage anybody in this industry that would love to see the documentary we have, we have put it on Vimeo, so it's living out there in a public site. We will be glad to send it to you. You can borrow it. You can take it to your church group on Sundays. If we can find the right occasion, I will show up or one of my colleagues will show up. I can't guarantee I'll make every, every single showing of it, okay? But, but I do quite a few of these, okay? And, you know, being an immigrant myself, I'm super passionate about this topic, okay? I'm not putting myself in the same shoes as farm workers, okay? Realizing I'm slightly more privileged than that. But I think it's, it's such a fundamental issue for us to solve as a nation. It's a lot about the opportunity, what it means to be American, but it's also about very, very serious issues of being a nation that has the luxury of feeding itself and by inaction could end up giving it up. Well, and I would connect a dot that I think the nation's interested in right now more than ever, which is health. And I think, you know, one of the things that struck me about the documentary was that some of the healthiest things we eat are being squeezed because of this labor shortage. And the connection there is like in the case of berries being handpicked, right? I mean, it's not a machine. It is increasingly more machine harvest, but historically, you know, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, berries, generally hand harvested fruit that if you don't have the labor, I think the movie did a good job of really reiterating the fact that it gets left behind because there just aren't enough hands. And I, I think today, you know, that is a real issue for society to debate because we can, we can manufacture lots of things for people to eat, but berries place a very special role in, I think, the health and wellness system for our society. And I thought the movie did a good job in kind of directing the attention that way about, it's about also our health. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a reality. Okay. If you want great tasting peaches, they're not going to get picked by a robot, okay? They're going to get picked by a human being. Our best-tasting blueberries out there uh, in the industry today, there's no chance that those get machine harvested, right? And actually, the whole Southern Highbush, you know, movement, okay? Well, those varieties are not going to get machine harvested, okay? Because you, you have, a, obviously, an evergreening system, okay? And so you have this continuous ripening, and, and so you don't have a concentrated crop, unlike you have in, in the Northern High Bush, okay? So ironically, here these things are running in the opposite direction, right? And so we have no choice but to grow nothing but Northern High Bush that are below average flavor, okay? And it's the only way we can get it harvested. But if it, that happens, okay, the demand for blueberries is going to go down dramatically, dramatically. And uh, I don't think any of us obviously want that in this industry. So this is a really, really core issue. And by the way, it's not just a federal issue. This isn't like Washington, D.C. can solve all the issues here. I mean, if you're out here on the coast of California where I'm sitting, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't do it to an H-2A program. But you want to provide farm worker housing for people on the coast of California? Yeah, good luck. Okay, you know, I mean, the, the medium home in Santa Cruz County where I'm sitting right now is like $900,000 for the median home. And they're not even going to allow us to build farm worker housing even if we wanted to. So it's also a local issue, but that's where each of us as individuals, every farmer out there, every local blueberry organization can get after these issues, right? It's from the bottom up and from the top down both that we have to work on these issues. Well, and just talk to me a little bit. You'd mentioned just how things have gone since 
you've launched the documentary or since the documentary was debuted. But how has it been received? What has been the response that you've experienced as you've gone out and spoke and talked about this issue? Well, we were a little worried about it. Okay, I can tell you about it when we went out. Okay, it got created in 2019. And I have to say, we were a little cautious in the beginning, putting it out there, maybe not putting it in too many really big public forums. But the response was so overwhelmingly positive that we did the ultimate putting it you know, out in the public by saying it's, it's available on the internet for free, basically, okay? And so it couldn't make it more public than that. And, you know, I'm yet to meet somebody that didn't have a good experience watching it and want to talk about it. And we're not preaching a specific solution, right? What we really are encouraging is this debate, right? So you can have a thoughtful solution. There is clearly a solution out there um, that's being proposed at the federal level, okay, passed in the House with a, in a bipartisan way. And the bill can't even be debated in the Senate. I mean, it's one thing that the Senate wants to debate it and vote it down, okay? But to not even be willing to talk about it is just, it's a beyond comprehension. And it's, I think, extremely dangerous for our society. So, no, I, um, it's been really well received. We have worked with people like the National Immigration Forum. They do a really good job of getting it out to, uh, for example, the faith community, whom they work very closely well. And we welcome that. We welcome people that want to partner with us and spread the message. And now that we've made it public, you know, it can go anywhere, okay? And so that's what we hope that people would do. Okay, let's take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Wow, as we enter March, there's lots of news. First, a reminder that March is both National Nutrition Month, a major power period for USHBC, and Frozen Food Month. And we have toolkits pointed to both of these, packed with resources and advice to help you promote blueberries with timely messages. Just head on over to ushbc.org toolkits to find everything you need. Now, let's talk National Blueberry Month. Yes, it's four months away, but we've been working hard to develop plans to make this July the biggest and best National Blueberry Month celebration yet. USHBC will be unleashing the power of blueberry lovers nationwide in July as we inspire fans to show how blueberries give them a boost. The month-long celebration will include media relations, social media activations, and experiential marketing. Even better, we're tying it into a good cause— USHBC is partnering with No Kid Hungry to provide kids in need up to 500,000 meals over the month. Each social post by consumers about blueberries throughout July will equal a $1 donation to help feed kids in need. So what does this have to do with March? Well, as we were planning, industry members asked if they could also donate product to help feed kids this summer. So we worked with No Kid Hungry to provide a voluntary opportunity for interested industry stakeholders to donate blueberries. There are a lot of logistics that have to be worked out by No Kid Hungry with their nationwide summer distribution centers, and they have to plan far in advance. That's where March timing comes in. If you are interested in providing a fresh or frozen product donation to kids in need this summer, please fill out the online donation interest form by March 30th. Just go to ushbc.org slash donate, complete the form, and No Kid Hungry will then be in touch based on fulfillment and distribution logistics. Again, that's ushbc.org slash donate. Thank you in advance for your generosity. As for National Blueberry Month promotions, which includes a 31-day challenge for consumers, 
The toolkit will be updated with 2022 plans and resources by early May, so you'll have plenty of time to plan your promotions. Go Blueberries! This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Soren Bjorn. Having just had Vani Estes on the podcast uh, recently, one of the things that she and I discussed was just the impact that the investment in vertical farming is having on agriculture generally, just knowing that, you know, Driscoll's recently announced a partnership uh, with Plenty. What's that impact going to look like from your perspective, both in agriculture generally, and then kind of bringing it back to blueberries, berries specifically? Well, I think sort of our approach is that we have to look at our business and saying, what are the greatest threats to our business, right? And if our job is every day is to try to solve those things, like the labor shortage, right? That's the job today. But if there are some of these threats that we cannot solve, and you know, I would say right now across our businesses that the biggest threats are all sort of blinking code red, labor, climate change, and water, right? I mean, we are California-based, still more than half our total berries that we represent the Driscoll's are grown right here in California. And we want to think about things that are you know, really out of control. Those would be the three things. And so I think when you, when you look at these technology investments, you're looking at saying, okay, can I solve these things that are the biggest threat to my business? In the case of the truly indoor farming, I'm not, now I'm not talking about controlled atmosphere farming. Okay, so everybody else is, seems to be jumping on the indoor farming bandwagon by relabeling what they've been doing for years. Okay, but truly indoor farming like, like Plenty or others that are trying that, is intended to deal with all of those things, right? It uses more than 98% of the water that's put into it. So it's super efficient. It is not climate dependent, right? You can grow and get totally indoors. If we ever got to have a chance to robotically harvest our crops, what you're going to need to do is to bring the plant to the robot and not have the robot bouncing down, you know, a dirt row, okay? So the robot is all still and the plant is coming over there and then gets harvested, okay? And so you could potentially deal with all those things. Is that happening tomorrow? No, it's not happening tomorrow. Is there a commercial opportunity that's near in? Yeah, I think so. But it's probably more likely to be in strawberries than, let's say, in blueberries. It's more likely to be that we can get after in strawberries delivering that unbelievable consumer experience that is very, very difficult to do outside. Or we can deliver it in a geography that will never be able to grow strawberries outside. You know, you can go to Singapore, you can go to Abu Dhabi, you can go to Bangkok, right? These are not places that are going to be growing strawberries outside. But if you have an indoor Driscoll's farm, well, we don't have to fly this fruit, you know, halfway around the world, okay, with a very, very fragile product. And many of those places, you also like to have governments that are interested in getting after food security, right? The, the other topic I talked about, right? If you look at a place like, you know, Abu Dhabi or Dubai, massive importers of food. Their government, you think they're worried about that? They're really worried about that. And they were incredibly worried about it during the pandemic because a lot of that food came in on passenger planes or tourists that were coming to lay on the beach in Dubai. And guess what? They weren't coming anymore. So next thing you're flying charters, and we were literally flying charters of fruit all the way out to Dubai. Well, that is obviously not sustainable. So I think there are some commercial opportunities coming for this. Maybe it's a preview of the future. I mean, clearly there are some very, very smart investors that are putting a lot of money into these technologies, including the one that we are in. 
And, you know, that doesn't mean that they're always right, okay? But just looking at the trends as an investor and saying, okay, well, where are the opportunities, right? And so that's, that's what we are doing. If I was a U.S. blueberry grower, I probably wouldn't worry too much about it, okay, at this point in time. But I think it's a good example of how you as an individual investor have to look at your business and saying, what are the threats to my business? Where are the opportunities? And then how am I going to go and charge after that? Well, that's something we're certainly going to keep an eye on. You know, as you said, there's a lot of things trending that way. Again, something that Vonnie and I talked about in terms of where she's seeing lots of outside investment coming into agriculture today. So something I just wanted to raise with you, but this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, you know, I, I would certainly want to see if there's anything else uh, that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share before I let you go. Well, I think the, the whole world is ready to move on. Okay. And I think that's, I'd like to think that's also true for the world of blueberries, right? You know, the last two years were, they were pretty rough. Okay. On a lot of us. There was a lot of personal capital that got used up and, you know, things got settled, okay, and not everybody will have liked how it got settled. But I would just encourage the whole industry that it's, it's time to move on, right, and really work on how we can make this industry as strong as possible, creating as many opportunities for growth, whether that's for people like us or for you, the individual farmer that's thinking about, you know, what kind of crop do they want to grow and do they still want to be in the blueberry business. That's our job as an industry. And I would just say from our standpoint, we are absolutely committed to that. Obviously, we want to be successful as a company within the industry. But we are equally committed to having an industry overall that's healthy. And I hope that people see it as more than just goodwill, that all of the companies involved in the importation of blueberries really stepped up big time and uh, said, hey, we are going to put a lot more money into this industry. If that is successful, and we can use that money well, we're willing to put even more money into the industry. And I think that should get us off to a good start. And I have had several U.S. farmers, including some that do not work with Driscoll's, come to me and say, we really, really appreciate that you guys have been willing to be one of the leaders in making that happen. And I'm very grateful for all my colleagues who I, on a daily basis, uh, call my competitors, sort of coming together on this. And so I think from here, let's, let's move forward, you know, and it'll be great. Well, and I just yesterday had a, another grower make that same comment to me over the phone, just saying how much uh, they really appreciate the commitment that's being made and the voluntary responsibility that's being taken to help move that needle and address some of these opportunities and the challenges. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, uh, credit to your leadership and those of others who, you know, recognize this as an opportunity, you know, to bring people back to the table and talk about what needs to happen next in order to keep moving this category forward as a group and certainly as an industry competing with a lot of other opportunities for people's dollar, something that, you know, blueberries need not fall behind on here. So Soren, as always, it's a pleasure spending this time with you. Uh, I know our audience enjoyed our last conversation and I'm sure they're going to uh, take a lot away from this conversation today as well. So I uh, really appreciate your time and certainly your support for the blueberry category and our program. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. And um, I'm very optimistic about where we're heading as an industry. And we are very glad to be part of it. And I, I couldn't be proud of, of all the people in the industry that has done such a great job of making this one of the most important categories in the entire grocery store. And let's keep it that way. So thank you very much. <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Oh, 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 oh,